Welcome to Cognation. I'm your host, Joe Hardy, together with my co-host with the co-most, Rolf Nelson. Hello. Dr. Rolf, Rolf Nelson. Um, yeah, so this week we're going to be talking about the marshmallow test. This is something that maybe some of you have heard about before, uh, and we're going to get into some of the science behind the, the marshmallow test, but also some of the criticism, more recent criticism of the research. Uh, before we get into it, though, I want to uh, just say a few words about uh, you know responding to the podcast, ways you can get in touch with us. Um, first way to get in touch with us is cognationpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com, cognationpodcast at gmail.com. We check that email periodically, and you can send us ideas for the show. If you want to be on the show or if you know someone who'd like to have on the show, that would be great. You can also uh, tweet at us at NationCog as our podcast, uh, as our Twitter handle. And please rate and review the show if you like it. And if you don't, please don't. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, uh, the topic for this, this uh, episode is the marshmallow test. And we can talk a bit about exactly what that is, but... Um, reason why I wanted to get into this particular topic was the marshmallow test has become topical again in the sort of uh, popular discourse, if you will. So I've heard a, a few different references to this recently on other podcasts and in the media. In 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 hearing those, I had noticed that there was some reference to potential issues with the original research and. I wondered whether or not this was one of those things that would fall victim to the replication crisis in psychology. A lot of things have failed to replicate. Uh, a lot of research that is canonical in the psychological literature has failed to be replicated by other researchers. And I wondered if this was that type of a situation and yeah. assumed that it was, you know, based on what I'd heard. So, I mean, the, to relate this back to a previous episode, I don't remember the episode number, but, uh, we talked about willpower and some of Roy Baumeister's work on willpower. That was another thing that uh, I guess it's not entirely clear, but might be subject to reinterpretation. So the idea that um, you know that you just have a reserve of willpower that gets used up, and then you can, it, if you use it in some way, then there's just less of it later. I think the concept here. So in the marshmallow test, we're talking about delay of self gratification. So another sort of skill that um, we might expect gets people ahead in the world, the ability to to set aside a smaller reward now for a larger reward later. So we're taking a look at a couple recent papers, including um, including one by uh, Tyler Watts, Greg Duncan, and Haunan Kwan, who um, had a, a large study that gave some reinterpretations to this. So the name of the study is called Revisiting the Marshmallow Test, a conceptual replication investigating links between early delay of gratification and later outcomes. And we'll put a link to that on the show notes too. Yeah, exactly. So, it's yeah. probably worth running through the, the exact procedure and, and some of the early results as well. The original paper uh, that we're going to be referencing here is Shoda, Michelle, and Peak uh, from 1990, predicting adolescent cognitive and self-regulatory competencies from preschool delay of gratification. Yeah, I think that probably the best thing is to start with the exact condition itself. So the, the general idea of these experiments is you take a small child 
uh, average age in this study was about four and a half years old. So a preschool age child. And you tell them that they can have a marshmallow now if they want it, or if they wait uh, a set amount of time. And in the first study, it's not clear whether they actually tell them that it's 15 minutes or not. In the, in the follow-up study, they did tell them that it was a certain amount of time, but uh, it wasn't clear for me from the, from the reading this yeah. paper, whether they exactly told them. But anyway, the point was they told them that if you wait until I come back, you can have two marshmallows and they actually had different uh, rewards that they used in different studies, but the sort of canonical uh, reward was marshmallows. People always think of marshmallows, but yeah, just, just in case you hate marshmallows and think kids just don't want them. They did offer, I think it was like M&Ms or pretzels or something like that too. So it was really what the kid wanted to eat. Right. Within some, some parameters. And uh, while the, while the, adult me is not super excited about marshmallows and wouldn't care about two marshmallows versus one. I think the four and a half year old me probably would have. Yeah. So it seems to work that, that particular reward does seem to work pretty well for, for most kids. So the idea is that if you can wait until like the researcher comes back, you, you get two marshmallows, but at any time before then you can ring a bell and you can eat the one marshmallow. That's, that's the general idea is you can either have one marshmallow now or wait and get two marshmallows later. And, this, and and does this sort of general ability represent something more useful? And this has been interpreted in all kinds of different ways. And, and the interpretation is, uh, is some of the interesting things here um, because, you know, a lot gets put on this test as with a lot of these sort of ability tests that happen when you give them to children. But what's interesting and particularly about this research is that there was this sort of heroic arc to the research itself, which is that it happened over decades. So, uh, you know, they had data from when the child was four and a half with this, how long, basically they're measuring how long will the child wait until they ring that bell? Do they make it the full 15 minutes or do they ring the bell at a certain time and how much time passes before they're, before they're giving in and eating the one marshmallow. And is that time, that delay time to, to uh, gratification is that delay time related to other things, other abilities, other outcomes. And they relate it to not just abilities now when the child is four and a half, but actually abilities when the child is older. So in this case, it was, I believe it was 15 and 18, two follow-ups. So in other words, does my ability to wait for two marshmallows at four and a half predict anything about what I'm going to be like at 15 years old or 18 years old? Yeah, so this is okay. So the re- so and the results are fairly strong too. In this nineteen ninety paper, it's a pretty significant performance difference. Um, yeah, I mean the, the 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 big idea here was, you know, in particular, we can focus. They had used different conditions, and they found that really one of the conditions was particularly what they called diagnostic. Uh, the different conditions were, you can either have the tell the child to use certain um tricks mm. like you know think about something else or reimagine what this this marshmallow is or you know use these different cognitive tricks mm. to delay that gratification and that works a little bit you know so they, they they describe one of them as like fun thinking so think about something else think about something fun um and that works pretty well so 
and then, but the one that really works, the trick that really works is if you just put the marshmallow off to the side where the child can't see it, then suddenly most children, most children are are able to do the task now to completion. So in other words, if you give the, the child cognitive tricks, or you take the marshmallow and put it in a way that's not visible, um, then, then the, you know, then it's no longer predictive of anything because basically all the children can do the task pretty well. Um, so all the variance kind of gets removed from the task. So all the results are mostly talking about and everything that we're going to talk about from, from the rest of this is, is mostly around the situation where the, the marshmallow is visible and they haven't been given any advice or tricks. And I guess it's important to say at this point that in that particular condition, we're talking about a sample size of 43 children. So it's only 43 kids, small sample size. I think all of those were attendees of a Stanford kindergarten too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's part of the, one of the big critics, those are two of the big criticisms of this early work, which is that it's a small number of children and they're all quite homogeneous in their backgrounds because they're all children of Stanford, like postdoc right. or high SES, but at least uh, high education for sure. for sure. Um, yeah. So there's, there's that sort of, uh, how representative is the sample of the larger population? Um, and that's a, that's a topic, but yeah, so the outcome measure, the sort of the things that they found to be highly correlated at, when a child is 15 or 18 with how well they did in preschool delay time. One of the things that they noticed was, or was highly correlated were adolescent coping skills as measured by a questionnaire that their parents did. So the parents actually answered questions about their children. And they found that, for example, there was a very high correlation between a question like, how likely is your child to exhibit self-control in frustrating situations? How likely is your child to yield to temptation? And how intelligent is your child? All of those questions correlate highly with performance on this delay task, you know, 10 years before or 13 years before. So in some in some ways it seems to be something that sticks with them. They apart from, you know, any in, intelligence gains or anything, they still seem to be able to employ these uh, strategies and are able to delay gratification. So it's a it's a persistent thing from age 4 to age 15, 18 at least. Right. So there's that there's that relationship and and then the other measure they looked at was SAT scores and there's some methodological problems with the way they collected this data, but assuming that it's, let's just take that, you know, put that to one side for the moment. Um, because I think it's probably not that important here. The, uh, but the point is that the SAT scores were highly correlated with this as well, with a particularly high correlation with the quantitative SAT scores, um, and the ability to delay, uh, gratification as a four and a half year old. So, this is all very interesting. And there's also, there was also some really interesting um, videos that showed the difference in uh, what, you know, different children, how they reacted, how they handled the situation. Do you mean those original old marshmallow videos? Yeah. With the little kids, you can see them getting frustrated. Exactly. You can kind of see them squirming and then you can see certain children, like you can, they're, they're using their, um, their, their own, they're spontaneously using different strategies. Like maybe one will, child will cover their eyes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Another child will talk to themselves, tell themselves a story. 
uh, that sort of thing. And so it, it was one of those things that shows up in psych one courses, uh, you know, quite often. And, and the basic takeaway is that like the way it's presented in psych one courses and the way it's present has previously been presented in the media a lot was self-control is really important for success in life. And the more self-control you have and the more you're able to delay your gratification, the more success you're going to have in life. That's, yeah. That's sort of the very reductive takeaway, right? Right, and I think it's an I think it's probably an early example of this um, thin slicing, right? That you can extrapolate from one situation a, a lot about future success or or anything about their future self, you know, from all these other examples from Malcolm Gladwell and other people, you know, <clears throat> looking at a yearbook photo or something like that can predict something about the future. Mm, um, mm. in with very little information so i think it's appealing in that way it doesn't take much to to test this self-control and then imagining or, or thinking of it as of having this huge influence on your later life right yeah exactly yeah and i think i think what we want to do here is is sort of problematize this a little bit um and i think there's sort of well there's several interesting things here but one of the things that i was interested in looking at the 2018 paper uh, from Watts and colleagues was that I was just curious if, if this result was replicable because so frequently in the literature, right. these big headline results. That. We just keep yeah. seeing that lately where all of these longstanding results just don't seem to hold up at all. Right, exactly. And then and then something about what how to really understand or think about if let's say then say if it does hold up, how how should we think about this? Is this really just that like some kids are just sort of born with the ability to control themselves or is it, what is the, what is the relationship there? What is the, what is that like uh, that causal relationship? Can we say anything about the causal relationship between um, these abilities and where they come from? Because the, 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 the motivation behind Watts uh, paper was that, you know, there are a lot of interventions that have been developed uh, over the years in response to this marshmallow test paper basically saying look self-control is super important in kids it's going to lead to success if we can develop this ability in kids they're going to do better later in life and if it's not the case that this the ability of to do this particular type of task is the causal thing that leads to that success but it's rather if you take out other causal related factors you might find that actually improving that ability doesn't help you that much it's an interesting yet sort of disappointing thing to to kind of realize that you can't just say you know focus smaller interventions on you know doing things that are like the marshmallow test helping that kind of self-control but just doing that alone doesn't seem to have the same sort of effect yeah yeah and 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 i think Right. I mean, we don't, we're not going to address the causal thing here directly because it has, wasn't studied experimentally, but that was the, that was the, 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 the motivation behind the Watts paper. So I think, and then I think it's interesting because I, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, I like to problematize the problematization of, <laughs> because I think people overreact in some ways to, to this follow-up study as well. I agree so, too. And I was surprised at some of the popular press um, simplifications of this. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. We have to describe the basic findings of this. Yeah, or the, or absolutely. Takeaway. So, yeah, 
go ahead. You want to you well, want to take so, the crack? Okay, so I'll start with the headline too. I mean, the idea is that that these effects still persist, although they're they're measured to be smaller in this study. Um, they used a whole lot more subjects, so they they conducted the experiment a lot more thoroughly. It was about nine hundred subjects as opposed to, um, you know, what you said forty or so for the original Mishkin. Yeah, in that one particular condition, yeah. They also got a much more diverse um, group of people for the study so that you can look at different factors that might go into it. Um, and one of the bottom lines is that uh, they find a big difference between college-educated and non-college-educated. Well, so if the mother is college-educated ed or not college-educated, and they find a big difference between is it a direct socioeconomic status indicator? Yeah, there. So one, there's, of, the, one of the first yeah. things they certainly find is that um, delay of gratification is is um, longer when the mother uh, has a college degree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they 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 looked at you know um, as you say like a much broader range of backgrounds in terms of where the, the these families are coming from and, and their, and their um, socioeconomic status. And they do find this, this strong relationship between children of mothers who do not have college degrees and those that do. The, the average wait time in children who uh, were from mothers who do not have college degrees was about four minutes. And the average wait time in uh children of mothers who do have college degrees, it was about 5.38 minutes. So quite a bit more. And that's even important to realize that um, there was a seven minute cap on this particular study. So the, the original uh, work by, by Michigan and the cap was 15 minutes. There was less of a ceiling effect. There's, a, there's quite a ceiling effect in this particular study because they only waited seven minutes and a lot of kids could wait seven minutes. In fact, 45% of even the children of mothers who were, did not have college degrees did wait the full seven minutes. It's important to realize that, I think. 68% uh, of the, the children with, of mothers with college degrees waited the full seven minutes. So a lot of the kids waited the full time. So you're really looking at the analysis here of these correlations is really with is really just analyzing that data for kids who didn't wait the full seven minutes because that's where the variance is or the variability, um, which is I think an important thing. But critically, what they did find, especially in children uh, of mothers with who are not college educated, most of the analysis that I think we should focus on here is for the children of mothers who did not receive college degrees, because that's where the variance is. The yeah, and that's interesting. I think, like you say, it looks to be like ceiling effects, as though the children of degreed mothers were mostly close to seven minutes if they were waiting, right? So yeah, the average was five point three eight minutes, and then sixty eight percent of them waited the full seven minutes. So. Yeah, I mean, it's... And so they get different things that affect the score for non-degreed kids with non-degreed mothers. And um, a whole bunch of things seem to factor into it, uh, especially things like uh, language stimulation, how much they're getting at home, um, 
the responsivity of their parents, how much academic stimulation they get, how old the mother is at birth. The non-degreed mothers are about five years younger than the degreed mothers. Yeah, and and I think that yeah. So like the the in terms of structurally how they thought about this, they they sort of did a couple things. One, they wanted to look at you know what was the correlation between performance on different tests and the ability to wait a certain amount of time as a uh, as a young child so how does that relate to performance on tasks you know a little bit later like when a child is in first grade and then much later when a child is like 15 years old and the that's the main result right that's the main uh if you want to say um uh replication the replication effect that it is the case that for the uh, the what they call the achievement com- uh, composite which is basically uh measures of letter word identification applied problems in math and picture vocabulary so these are like standardized test kind of measures things that like this SATs, I don't think they actually use the SATs in this study, but similar kind of cognitive assessment type tests, that there was a correlation that was significant between the ability to delay gratification in this particular test and later achievement. So kids who waited longer had had better scores on academic achievement tests, or really they're not, I mean, they're, they're, they're cognitive tests related to things like math and, and vocabulary. Um, so that, 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 that's the main effect, right? That in, in the kid, in the kids where there was variance in the kids where, in other words, in, in the children of, of mothers who were non-college educated, that they did replicate the main effects of, um, of the original Shoda at all work. There's a positive relationship between performance at 15 years old on these cognitive tests and, and uh, the marshmallow test. So the marshmallow test is in, is predictive in that way. So that's the main, that's the big, big takeaway, right? In the sense of like, they didn't, there was not a failure to replicate. This, this study, you know, despite what, somewhat what the headlines might have suggested, this study in fact replicated the main results of, um, of Shoda et al. in a much larger sample that was more diverse and um yeah and it was more carefully right more carefully done and crucially showed some of these factors that may be um responsible for um this ability to delay gratification um i think i mean this is sort of like a basic um you know think of correlation does not imply causation that um, because they're doing well on, or, or because they're able to de- delay gratification at age four, and they later have better scores, um, it could indicate that delay of gratification is directly responsible for this, or it could indicate that there's some other variable that's responsive, responsible for both of these things. In other words, is it the case that higher income kids, so kids who are born into more privilege, mm-hmm. Um, are better at the delayed gratification task and also higher achievers in high school. Um, but the main factor at play is, or the causal factor here is 
uh, income or or uh, parenting style or or things like that resources available yeah exactly exactly i mean that that and that's sort of the the meat of the of their analysis is they looked at a, a variety of different uh, covariates if you will other things that were happening in the child's life at that time uh, of when they were doing the marshmallow test and looked at both the correlation between those things and performance on the marshmallow test and uh, looked at if you control, if you put these variables in a model and you control for them, does the effect of the marshmallow test, is it still significant? Is that is there still a significant relationship between your ability to delay gratification on the marshmallow test and at four and a half and then subsequent achievement scores at 15. And the answer is basically no. I mean, if you, if you control for these factors, then it takes away most of the effect, not entirely. There still is some residual effect under certain, in some conditions, but for the most part, a lot of the variability is removed when you control for things like family income, mother's age at birth, the learning materials in the household, language stimulation in the household, physical environment, uh, academic stimulation, all of these factors, if you control for them and put them in a model, actually the effect of the, uh, the predictive value of the marshmallow test goes way, way down. Yeah. So, I mean, what you're, what you're really saying is that these factors are ones that can contribute to uh, an increased score on the marshmallow test, right? Exactly. I mean, I think I think the point is that like a, a more a more uh, an inter- one uh, experimental approach would be to say if you can do something that trains this underlying ability of uh, self control, then the and the then the, the child gets better at the marshmallow test, and then they also achieve more. That would be more causal in its nature. But what what this is all saying is that all of these things are related. So your ability, your scores on all these different cognitive tests, scores on um, behavioral tests, and score and scores on things about your environment that you grew up in, all of those things are related to both the marshmallow test itself and also future achievement. So it's not the case that you can say that it's so simple to say that oh well, kids that have good self control achieve more it's much it's just more i mean well you can say that because that is a true (laughs) statement but as measured by this marshmallow test but you can't say that it's you can't take it in a reductive sense that it's it that it's really just this um that that it's this ability this single ability of self-control that causes them to achieve more later that that's the thing that they're they're really problematizing here it's like it's not the case that just being good at self-control yeah. will make you a high achiever. That's and there, right. therefore, if you can improve your ability to control yourself, that you'll be a higher achiever. You know, and this, re- I mean, this relates to other, other kinds of popular concepts too. Well, I mean, we talked about willpower, but also something like grit that Angela Duckworth talk, talks about that, yep. you know, the idea that grit is more important than raw intelligence and sort of sticking to it is, is an important thing. So a natural conclusion might be that you want to, train grit or, or improve your grit but uh you know if it works 
if it works like um, delay of gratification, it may not be that just just increasing your grit is the thing that's going to be responsible. There may be other underlying factors, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think, uh, you know, then you, you look at some of the, you know, as we're talking about some of the popular press behind this and, um, you know, as I say, you know, we wanted to problematize a little bit and, and kind of deconstruct a little bit this result, but I think some of the conclusions, um, you know, in the popular press were, were maybe like simplifying this in a way that I think is perhaps not helpful. Um, but it's also interesting. I mean, I think part of, part of why this particular test is, is discussed a lot popularly is that it's so intuitive. It's like, oh, I can see that the child who is yeah. able to, yeah. to wait and delay their gratification, um, that child's going to be able to like go to graduate school because they can, they understand that if they go to graduate school and wait five years that they'll, you know, they'll be able yeah. to do more in their career later, you know, stuff like that. It's a very yeah, simplified always, reductive I mean, thing. It, it, there's so many cases in which being able to delay gratification in life. I mean, you don't even have to list examples. I mean, right. It's just a, the way, the, it's the way the life works, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, there was an, uh, an article in the Atlantic, um, that we looked at called why rich kids are so good at the marshmallow test uh, by Minevska. And uh, that in that article it says the marshmallow test isn't the only experimental study that has recently failed to hold up to some under closer scrutiny. Some scholars and journalists have gone so far as to suggest that psychology is in the midst of a replication crisis. In the case of this new study specifically, the failure to confirm old assumptions pointed to an important truth. The circumstances matter more in shaping a child's life than Michelle and his colleagues seem to appreciate. Now, I want to say a few things about that because, yeah. first of all, yeah. they—I think we—I think we determined. I—I I, I think we agree that they basically did replicate the study. This yeah, was not a failure to replicate. Like, what it seems like, so I mean, they—they they show a slightly smaller effect. Um, they use different methods, so they wait seven minutes instead of fifteen minutes. But they do show, I think it's pretty clear that they do show an effect of the marshmallow test. Yeah, the marshmallow test is predictive. And they and they they go so far as you know, they get into like some of the covariates. And if you control for some of these covariates, then yes, the effect is reduced or or nearly eliminated under in certain circumstances, eliminated. But that doesn't mean that the effect isn't there. It just means that it's there's a lot of collinearity. There's a lot of other things that are that are varying along with That's the marshmallow right. everything, test. Everything else equal. Yeah, that's the thin slicing stuff. If all you knew, then you could make some predictions based on it. Yeah, so the, it, it's not a fail. It, so I think it's just it's a fundamentally just a misrepresentation to say that it's uh, not that it's not a replication. It, I think it is in fact a replication, which is surprising actually to me that it was successfully replicated because it was such a. I mean, I wonder the extent to which uh, the story makes sense to people, and people might be m more willing to accept that. I think. Uh, kids with less money are more likely to face food insecurity and therefore take the thing that is in front of them rather than wait for a reward that may never come. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and I think there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, sort of, yeah, there's, there's, there's a strong temptation to jump to that reductive conclusion as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, uh, and this is, this is sort of exactly what this Atlanta article, Atlantic article talks about. You know, talking about this is like 
It suggests other possible explanations for why poorer kids would be less motivated to wait for the second marshmallow. For them, daily life holds fewer guarantees. There might be food in the pantry today, but there may not be tomorrow. So there is a risk that comes with waiting. And even if their parents promise to buy more food of a certain, uh, buy more of a certain food, sometimes that promise gets broken out of financial necessity. Meanwhile, for kids whose households headed by parents who have better educated and earn more money, it's typically easier to delay gratification. Experience tends to tell them that adults have the resources and financial stability to keep the pantry well stocked. Right. And, and I mean, I guess that, you know, the question is how much does the kid trust that they're going to come back and give that second marshmallow? Uh, and there was a study a couple of years ago that looked into exactly that, 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 um, that, switched out the experimenter the experiment would would sometimes be unreliable in in coming back and fulfilling their promise and sometimes more reliable and when when the experimenter kept to their word and you know said they're going to come back at a certain time and they actually did then kids were more likely to delay gratification so um you have to make an inference from that to 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 conclude that poor people are less likely to to trust that they're going to get you know, more food, that that's the direct cause, but it does make a story. Yeah. I mean, there's the story. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, there's nothing actually in any of this research that, that, that um, reads on that explanation directly. In other words, you can't make a direct statement about anything that from what we've just talked about that yeah, that's right. why it happens. Right. But it, it's, it's a just so story, yeah. but it's, it's yeah. a compelling, it's a compelling just so story. I mean, it, it, it makes a lot of intuitive sense and it kind of speaks to my, uh, uh, grand theory of, uh, cognitive oh, we're testing. Grand, we're getting the grand theories already. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you know, that, you know, this one, Ralph, right. I've told you this one several times, right? Like my, my grand theory of cognitive testing and achievement testing. Well, oh, let's hear it. Okay, so the the idea that I've had for now, sometime since since we did this work uh, a while ago on um, cognitive training and cognitive testing, was that all right? So what you find broadly is that almost any achievement test, any test of cognitive ability, any test of uh, it holds for the marshmallow test, as we see right here. Almost any test that you do at an early age will be predictive of later success in life more success means like for example getting into college getting making a lot of money um, in a socioeconomic sense success uh, there's a whole variety of different assessment tools that can be used as in children that will predict these things later on and also you know at the, predict things you know uh, at the same moment in time as well so like if i give you a memory test i can I can get a pretty good prediction of of how well you're getting paid at this time as a professional. So which um, ones? Are, which ones of these are relevant and which ones aren't? Well, this is the this the point that I'm trying to make all here. Relevant to some degree, or like to some small yeah. little bit, they're all kind of contributing. They're all, but they're all kind of contributing, and but then it, it speaks to the it gets back to the question of G, right? General intelligence, mm -hmm, yeah, right. Because what you see is that all these things are correlated. So you you want them there to be some underlying core factor yeah. that 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 holds these all together that explains why they're so correlated why it's correlated 
your memory score and your vocabulary score and your income are all so highly correlated. Why is that? And why is that correlated to how long you can wait to, to eat a marshmallow before you get a second one? Yeah. And my, my, my sort of overarching uh, meta theory of why that is, is that it's all about as the test taker, how much do you understand what the test is about? That was my original theory. And I've actually, I've, I think I've updated it based on this, uh, on this, you know, problematizing that we've been doing here on this work. So what am I mean? So it's like the classic test of fluid intelligence. That's supposed to be the most predictive, the most uh, content free. So the idea that it's like, not about what you specifically know, but it's about this ability to think. You're going to say Raven. Yeah, exactly. Raven's major progressive matrix test. So it's this like very abstract test where you have to basically predict the fourth element based on the first three, you know, there's a pattern there and you have to say what the pattern is. Well, it, there's a construct there. You have to basically buy into the construct of what the answer is. It's not really truly a right answer in the sort of like classic physics, math. Not in a deductive yeah. sense. Right, exactly. You have to intuit in some sense, like what the test maker wants you to, to say. You have mm -hmm. to empathize in some way. And who can empathize with the test maker? Someone who's like the person who made the test, someone who grew up in a similar environment, someone who was raised in a certain way, who was spoken to in a certain way. And it's the professor at Stanford in psychology, right? right. Who wrote the test. The kids who, who know that and grew up with that, they're going to do better on the test. And that plays out over and over and over and over again in every situation. The more that you're default mode is not not talking default mode network you're talking about just like your your standard way of operating in the world and being in the world is more in line with what the expectations of that environment are so you go work for a tech company and it's all run by tech bros and you know how they kind of act yeah. you're going to get along more you're going to get ahead more right that that plays out again and again and again and replicates and and extends these uh, inequalities that we have in our education system and our professional systems and throughout. And the thing that, 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 that I want to add to this based on the work here is it's not just that you can empathize with the test maker, but that you actually want, you want to buy into it. You're motivated to buy into the system. There's a system there. Your, your interest in buying into that, it probably depends on a lot of things like you know, do you trust that test? Mm -hmm. Do you trust the person who's giving you this test? Do you really think they're going to bring you a second marshmallow or not? If you have reason to disbelieve that they're going to do that based on your own experience, you're going to buy into the whole system a lot less. I mean, I guess what I'm suggesting is that what, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm specifically critiquing is people who say, well, look, actually inequality is good. People who are smart and can delay gratification can get ahead and that's the way it should be, right? right? They're just better people, so they do better. That's that's really like, that's that's the meta the narrative judgment. behind the marshmallow test. There's actually a whole system, you know, call it structural racism, et cetera. It's, it's structural inequality that supports that at every level from the moment you're taking the test to the moment you're interviewing for the job to your quarterly performance review all the way through. 
there's a whole it's all it's all related to these factors of just the system right like the way that our society is structured and the way it works knowing, knowing how it works and also having a motivation to succeed in that system yeah feeling invested in the system feeling like the system is working for you um, believing in it in that way is going to relate to how you do on the marshmallow test and how you do at your job later on you know in terms of that so that's that's my sort of meta theory of of the case i don't think so in other words i don't know that you can make a better test because what it depends what you're trying to do what are you trying to do because like we want to say oh this person is smart and that person's not smart this person has good self-control that person doesn't have self-control i think that is just like fundamentally the wrong framing i guess is what i'm saying well i mean one of the things you're your questions point to is is um, just the experimental setup too. That could you change it so that you're measuring self control in a better way across all people? Maybe you're maybe you're missing out on a, a better way to measure self control in kids who come into this as a. It seems like a weird situation that they're not familiar with. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. No, I mean, it is. I guess part of the question is: Do you think there's a an underlying construct of self control that's um, stable over time? Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point, Ralph, because I don't want to mean, I don't, I don't mean to say here, I don't want to be nihilistic either. Right. And that's not what I'm meaning either, because I do believe there is something like, you know, an ability to like, for example, working memory, you know, the ability to like hold more ideas in your mind at the same time. And there's something like attentional control ability that, and these are, and, and there's something like the ability to delay gratification. And these are all some people will argue whether delay of gratification is a cognitive ability. Some of this work suggests that it actually is more cognitive than, than not. Um, I do, do think those are, are real things that are trainable that you can get better at mm-hmm. and they are changeable, but they're also stable generally speaking, because they're, they're sort of uh, continuously reinforced. Did you say that it's fair to say that uh, this article that we, spend our time talking on indicates that there are that both of them exist that when we factor things out when we factor certain things out there's still an effect however there's an effect of uh, lots of other things on there i mean we could say that we could say that delay of gratification does have an effect and that's part of this but we could also say that you know poverty has an effect on academic performance and it's not necessarily mediated through delay of gratification yeah i think that's exactly right i think that's Age exactly of the right mother at birth and things like this all have an effect yeah and i think it's important to think about it that the, that these uh, analyses are symmetric you could look at it and say there's an effect of delay of gratification on future performance or you could say you know, that and that if you control for all these other variables that that effect is reduced or you could say well look all these other variables also predict future performance and they all, all these variables also predict marshmallow test success yeah like i mean so for example uh, the home, mother's socioeconomic status yeah uh, the home environment i mean the total home environment has a, a large effect in having lots of books available um all of the and that's one thing they measured in this study too um you know looking at the enrichment of the home environment that um seems to have a huge effect on the the acquisition maybe the acquisition of of these kinds of skills 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's, 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 it's a complex system. The, the reductive case leads people to a lot of problems in their thinking and it leads people to draw a lot of wrong conclusions about what to do <laughs> in the world and how to, how to make things better. Um, at the same time, there's a real thing there. Like if you're, if a kid is better at the marshmallow test statistically, I mean, it's a, it's not still not explaining a huge amount of variance, but like statistically they're, they're more likely to do better in school later, et cetera, et cetera. Who would argue with the idea that having a little self-control is, is helpful for, you know, having a better career or making more money. Right. Yeah. I mean, to your, to, yeah, to your point, like there's so many cases in which, um, delay of gratification in particular is, is important and useful in the world. Yeah. I mean, I think that pretty much, uh, covers it. I don't know, Rolf, what do you think? Is there anything else to mention here? So just to sort of go over the idea that they find these differences in more in, uh, the mothers who did not have a college degree and they don't find so many differences among mothers who do have a college degree. Maybe they hit the ceiling or something. I think this is interesting to me. It suggests that, I mean, most of those, most of this is going on, you know, possibly at the low end, like uh, kids who are the most impoverished, um, have the least resources available to them. And what they really need is just to get up to sort of speed, not necessarily, you know, live in a mansion and have that. In other words, that it, after a certain base level of level of this, then they would be equivalent to other kids in, delay of gratification right well i think that's a good point i mean and i i mean on the other side of that is just that most of the effect of future achievement is found in the second study for kids most of the variance is is due to kids who grab the first marshmallow within 20 seconds that's right so it's really like we're talking about most of this effect is for those kids who are just super not not yeah. doing this task at all. They're just going straight for the first marshmallow. It, yeah. Once you once you're at least yeah. trying to like wait, you're doing you're already doing a lot better. So we don't need to be training Jedi masters. We just need to be getting kids that can hold off that first impulse. It's like that initial impulse control, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And 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 the yeah, there's this question of like how much of that is a cognitive thing versus how much of that is like, well, look, I mean those kids who are just like, no, I just do not believe that this kid, this person is going to bring me a second marshmallow, <laughs> just yeah. not buying into this at all. Right. Like you could, that, that explanation makes a lot of sense when we think about the 22nd case. I mean, there are probably not that many kids who couldn't really control themselves for 20 seconds if they thought that it was useful yeah, and valuable. How real right? That prospect of getting those two marshmallows actually is like, what am I doing uh, yeah. in this weird situation? What's, yeah, exactly. What's really going on here, I, and we can't uh, we can't distinguish between those those possibilities uh, in this study at all, right? And maybe they're not actually different things. That's my whole point. Maybe these are not actually different explanations. Maybe they're part and parcel of the same. It's the system. All right, <laughs> buy into it. It's the system. But yeah, I mean, I think the interesting the, the topic of intervention is interesting, and that's sort of where uh, these guys started their exploration. Well, it sounds to me like that the best interventions are ones that, uh, I mean, thinking about poverty as a root issue and and doing training just on um, delay of gratification may not be the way to go. Right. 
any other any other points to hit here no i mean i think this is this stuff is fascinating i love this i love this stuff yeah no it's super cool it's like the intersection of a lot of things that we've that we've worked on in the past in terms of you know trying to be practically help people get better at different abilities uh, and how do you think about how these constructs relate what is what is intelligence what is general intelligence all this stuff where do they come from where do they come from exactly exactly why don't we why don't we wrap it up there thanks for listening and uh i'll mention again our contacts uh cognation podcast at gmail.com and at nation cog or at jl hardy phd on twitter and love to hear from you so thank you all right thanks